My name is Dr. Joshua Knapp. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode, drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers, as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition, doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christ-likeness in all we do. Hi, I'm Dr. Joshua Nabb, and welcome to the 14th episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that I think is increasingly being explored and emphasized in secular clinical psychology. It's a topic also that I think Christians can benefit from tremendously, given we have our own rich heritage to draw from. The topic is compassion. So to get us started, I think a few questions need to be asked for 21st century Christ followers. What is compassion? What are the ingredients of compassion? Is compassion applicable to ourselves, to others, or both? How might compassion be helpful when attempting to manage our emotions, especially distressing ones in a fallen, broken world? How does compassion relate to mental health? How might compassion be an alternative to self-esteem and the self-esteem movement? How might compassion be the antidote to shame, especially in an imperfect world? What are some strategies to cultivate compassion? For 21st century Christ followers, what might the Bible say about compassion, as well as historic Christian spiritual writings? So ultimately, for 21st century Christ followers, how might compassion be helpful in the Christian life, especially as Christians pursue holistic, including mental, health? So to get us started with a few opening quotes, in Genesis, after Adam and Eve sinned by turning away from God, they were banished from the garden, And we read that, quote, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So immediately after the fall, we have God's first act, post-garden, post-fall, to clothe Adam, Adam and Eve, to offer them compassion. In the Old Testament, we also read with one of the psalmists, quote, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
Another psalmist uh, cries out, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. According to the 20th century playwright Eugene O'Neill, quote, Man is born broken, he lives by mending, the grace of God is glue. This is one of my favorite quotes. I often like to quote in some of my writings and trainings. God's grace is the glue. God's loving kindness and compassion is the glue that holds us together as Christ followers. The 20th century Lutheran theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer powerfully declares, quote, We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. I think this quote is especially relevant for us as we get started here considering the role that compassion plays in responding to suffering, to really see people suffering, to be responsive to it, to be moved by it as Christ followers. The contemporary writer Jack Cornfield states, quote, Our sorrows and wounds are healed only when we touch them with compassion. And to offer one more quote, the 21st century compassion researcher Kristen Neff says, quote, When we give ourselves compassion, we are opening our hearts in a way that can transform our lives. So with these opening quotes, we can see a wide variety of perspectives, a Christian perspective, a secular perspective on compassion, the role that it plays in mental health and responding to suffering. So before we move into the psychology literature, then a biblical view, and then to conclude a 10-minute practice to cultivate compassion, wanted to offer a personal story. As far back as I can remember, I've been moved by others' suffering. I'd say I was someone who was exposed to my own suffering earlier in life and have been thinking through suffering, my own suffering, the suffering of others ever since. I think this is probably why I really gravitate towards psychology and and clinical psychology and thinking psychologically about things. Just given that, I've seen quite a bit of suffering throughout my 44 years on this planet. In fact, one of the reasons I I really wanted to train to be a clinical psychologist was to walk with others in their suffering and help them through it from a place of compassion. At times, maybe even the compassion that I never received, wanting to actually be there for others and be responsive to their suffering given that suffering is so difficult, so painful in a fallen, broken world. So in my own life, I've had some someone close to me struggle with alcohol, alcohol abuse. We would even say alcohol dependence. So much so that this person has been hospitalized multiple times, in and out of inpatient and outpatient treatment a handful of times, and has suffered from a wide variety of psychological and physical challenges, I'd even say spiritual challenges, due to the long-term abuse of alcohol. 
In my relationship with this person, I felt a range of emotions over the years. This is a long-term issue. From fear to anxiety to sadness and loss to anger to guilt to powerlessness to confusion and on and on. A wide variety of difficult emotions given it's been so difficult to watch this person suffer and see the impact it's had on those around this person. So fear for me because uh, I'm afraid this person's life is slipping away and they may end up living a shorter life tragically. Anxiety because I never know when relapses will occur, when this person's life will fall apart all over again. Sadness because of the loss of what could have been in our relationship and this person's life, the potential this person had, the talents and skills this person has been given by God. Anger because it feels deeply unfair that I don't have a different relationship with this person if I'm focusing on myself and my own experience. Guilt, because at times I maybe blame myself and believe I could have done something different throughout our relationship. If I was more available, more supportive, more helpful, more encouraging, the list goes on. And powerless, powerlessness, because I want so badly to help and don't know how. I've even felt shame about these emotions, given I'm a mental health professional who should seemingly have more insight into what's going on, to be able to be more objective, to understand what alcohol can do, alcohol dependence, the addiction that this person is struggling with, the cycle of addiction, and yet I still struggle personally. So this bird's eye view, this more objective view that can be easier to maintain in my professional life is really a struggle in my personal life and my relationship with this person. So given this challenge has been long-term and does not seem likely it will go away, I've had to learn to relate differently to the situation, differently to my emotions, differently to my relationship with this person. I've had to come up with a different perspective and begin to accept the reality of human suffering in this context. So because of this, because of the need to reframe, given the problem is not going away, of course, in a fallen, broken world, if we can solve problems, we certainly do so. There's no reason to continue to suffer if there are solutions to suffering. And yet, in this case, the suffering is enduring, which is often what happens in life, given we live in a fallen, broken world. So compassion for this person as a fallen human being who struggles like the rest of us, like myself, has been helpful for me. Given it makes sense that I would have a range of difficult, confusing emotions and expectations of how challenging it is to walk with someone through an addiction where there is steady deterioration right before my eyes. So for me, compassion is an alternative to avoidance. Given avoidance does not work, I could deny the reality of the situation. I could just get angry and and create 
permanent distance. But compassion helps me to stay engaged. Compassion helps me to feel what there is to feel. Compassion helps me to understand that this person is no exception to the reality of suffering, that we all in our own way suffer, and that we all experience loss of what could have been, and we all will eventually take our last breath on this side of heaven. We live in a fallen, broken world filled with suffering, filled with loss, filled with pain, and ultimately the ultimate loss, which is death. So my hope in this episode is to share some of these insights into the role that compassion can play in the Christian life, especially because we live in a fallen, broken world filled with suffering, most of which will not go away prior to God's eventual restoration. As Christians, we believe in and have a personal relationship with a compassionate God who loved us so much that he became a human being and died to reconcile us to him, which is, I think, the ultimate act of compassion, to be aware of, moved by suffering, and responsive to suffering. That we are wayward, fallen, estranged from God, and God acted. God took the step necessary to reconcile us to him for those who put our faith in Jesus Christ from a Christian perspective. So, since this is the case, from a biblical worldview, we can draw upon our own Christian heritage to make better sense of how to respond to suffering, which includes psychological suffering in an imperfect, wayward world, and we can apply this compassion to ourselves and others. For Christians, this is what we might call an outside-in to inside-out process. God initially is the author of compassion, and we can have compassion for ourselves and others because God first had compassion for us. So if we begin with compassion in secular psychology, what is the definition? Well, essentially, compassion is being moved by suffering and responsive to suffering. And the word compassion, the Latin root, it really means to suffer with. And so what we're doing is we're moved by suffering, suffering with someone else. There's a common humanity here. We're recognizing we're in this together. And as a result, we can understand someone else's suffering. So what are some of the ingredients of compassion in the secular psychology literature? Well, we're aware of suffering in our thoughts. We are impacted or moved by suffering in our feelings. And we are responsive to suffering in our behaviors. And these ingredients can be applied to ourselves or others in the midst of suffering. So really what we're talking about here is relating to suffering with kindness, concern, sympathy, non-judgment, not self-criticism, not criticizing or judging others and so forth. We're in this together from uh, this place of compassion, recognizing that we suffer, others suffer, and we're moved by that, and we want to be responsive to it. 
So in terms of the relationship to psychological functioning and mental health, according to the British, British psychologist Paul Gilbert, we have three emotion regulation systems which have relevance for this discussion on compassion. First, we have the danger system, which is really anchored to our sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, or freeze, with fear, anxiety, and anger helping us to make sense of a perceived threat in a timely, effective manner. So we need this system in a fallen, broken world. Second, we have the drive system. So not only do we have the danger system, as an emotion regulation system, we have the drive system, which helps us to secure important resources for survival, food, shelter, clothing. And this is linked to positive emotions like excitement and pleasure, which is reinforcing. It helps us to continue to try to accumulate secure resources and so forth. And third, the third emotion regulation system, according to Paul Gilbert, is the compassion system. And this involves a really not seeking behavior. We're not uh, in a state of fight, flight, or freeze. We're not trying to accumulate resources for survival. But instead, we're tapping into the parasympathetic nervous system. We're, we're calm. We're at peace. There's a sense of being safe. And we are experiencing compassion toward ourselves, toward others. This safeness system is really about attachment and being bonded to others and feeling a sense of contentment and safeness and compassion in the context of safe, supportive relationships. Being aware of the connectedness in life. Unfortunately, though, in our fast-paced, driven, distressed and distressed and anxious 21st century society, we may overly rely on the danger or drive system, danger system being anxiety, anticipating catastrophe, drive system maybe being addictions, overconsumption, over-reliance on drugs and alcohol or food or materialistic possessions, and we may not be as connected to as reliant upon the compassion system. And yet, compassion from this perspective is really one of the antidotes to suffering. Although we can eliminate, cannot eliminate suffering, we can be compassionate towards our suffering and the suffering of others, which can help us to relate differently to it and be really soothed and comforted in the midst of suffering. One reason we may overly rely on the danger system is that growing up, we may have received critical message from others, messages from others, parents, caregivers, mentors, teachers, society. And we did not learn to be compassionate and loving toward ourselves. So instead, this message that we received repeatedly from others is internalized. And we now are critical of ourselves in the way that other people initially were critical of us. So it's criticism from others turned inward, which can result in an overactive danger system. Constantly perceiving there are threats, there are gaps in, in our relationships to the point where maybe we're isolated and alone. And we can't rest in this state of contentment and safeness and compassion. 
So really what we're talking about in secular psychology is learning how to rely upon the compassion system, not overly relying on the danger or drive systems for emotion regulation. In terms of research support, in a review of 20 studies with over 4,000 participants combined, we found a negative relationship between self-compassion and anxiety and stress. So meaning that when we give people questionnaires on these different areas of functioning, the more people endorse that they engage in self-compassion, the, the less they endorse anxiety and stress. In terms of interventions, we have loving-kindness meditation that comes from the Buddhist tradition, quite popular right now in clinical psychology and in secular clinical psychology. And it involves repeating mantras that have themes of compassion and kindness in order to first increase these emotions with ourselves, then others. So we might say something along the lines of, may I be free from suffering. May I be safe. May I be at ease. Then we go through a round of saying these mantras gently, lovingly about others. May others be free from suffering. May others be safe. May others be at ease. And this practice, this loving kindness meditation or metta in, in the Buddhist tradition is quite popular right now as a way to cultivate self and other compassion. And research has confirmed that loving kindness meditation can be helpful in increasing positive emotions such as compassion and kindness in the midst of psychological suffering. Not trying to eliminate it, but being more compassionate toward it. So sometimes we might take a non-judgmental stance towards our inner world, as is the case with mindfulness meditation. In this case, we're actually trying to cultivate positive emotions of compassion and kindness and care and love, not just maintaining some sort of neutral posture towards our inner experiences. So the secular psychology literature, I think, has done a good job of emphasizing the role that compassion plays in optimal functioning, the good life. For Christians, though, we have some different ways of looking at compassion, including where it comes from, its source, and how to cultivate it what to do with it. So the Bible is filled with examples of compassion, especially God's compassion for humankind. And then we have examples in the New Testament of instructions on being compassionate towards others. So for 21st century Christ followers, self and other compassion is, is an outside in to inside out process. Meaning we have compassion for ourselves and others because God first had compassion for us. As 1 John 4:19 states, quote, we love because God first loved us. In Ephesians we read, quote, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. In 1 Peter we read that we should, quote, love one another, and be, quote, compassionate and humble. In Colossians, we read that we need to, quote, clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So this list is led by compassion. 
If we look back to the Old Testament, there are many examples. For example, in Lamentations, we read that, quote, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, and his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, and great is God's faithfulness. God's compassion for us never fails. In the 103rd Psalm, we read, quote, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So in the Bible, compassion means, quote, to enter sympathetically into one's sorrow and pain, according to a Bible dictionary. And the word often comes from the Greek word elios, E-L-E-O-S, or mercy, which really captures God's compassion, mercy, and ongoing pursuit of us humans in the midst of our pain, suffering, and misery. So in a fallen, broken world, we're often miserable. This is not how things should be. There's a huge gap between how things should be and how they are, and this creates suffering. And God is merciful and responsive to us in our suffering. Although mercy can also mean withholding punishment in Scripture, I think there's an often overlooked aspect of God's mercy that captures his loving kindness toward humankind. So for 21st century Christ followers, God is all merciful, which means we can pray for his merciful reply to our pain and suffering, renewed each day. This can be especially helpful when we're overly relying on the danger system in a fallen, broken world, or the drive system, we're maybe self-reliant and overly focused on accumulating and storing up in barns and pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain. So what are the ingredients of compassion from a Christian perspective? Well, interestingly, the Greek word for olive oil, pronounced something along the lines of elion, E-L-A-I-O-N, resembles elio. So the Eastern Orthodox Church and, and some of the writings there point out that really when we're talking about mercy and elios, the, a similar word in Greek olive oil was used in Jesus' day to heal wounds. So when we are crying out to God for mercy, when we have those in the Gospels crying out to Jesus for mercy, we're asking him for healing, compassion, empathy, understanding, requesting that he soothe our injuries in the midst of suffering, not just saying, don't punish me. So asking Jesus was, for mercy was common in the Gospels, reflected in what has been, been now known as the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. So I think we can work toward accessing the God-given compassion system. Insights there from secular psychology, but anchoring ourselves to a biblical worldview. And we can do so by noticing our self-criticism, our shame, our distress, and other forms of suffering. And in turn, reciting the Jesus Prayer, which we'll be practicing today. 
So we're attempting to shift from the danger to the compassion system from a mental health perspective in that we're pivoting from our preoccupations with uncertainty, danger, ambiguity to an awareness of God's active, compassionate presence. And this is highly relevant for us as Christians in pursuit of mental health, that it's an outside to inside process wherein God is at the center extending his compassion to us, which we then in turn can extend to ourselves and others. So a few quotes from classic Christian spiritual writings before we move into the practice. In the Philokalia, which is a collection of spiritual writings spanning the first probably millennium to the second We have in the Eastern Orthodox Church an instructional instructional manual essentially for the Jesus prayer in the Philokalia. So a few quotes here to understand the role that really mercy and compassion from God can play in our mental health before we move into practicing the Jesus prayer. So one writing from the Philokalia says, quote, I entreat you not to leave your heart unguarded. So long as you are in the body, just as a farmer cannot feel confident about the crop growing in his fields because he does not know what will happen to it before it is stored away in his granary. So a man should not leave his heart unguarded so long as he still has breath in his nostrils. Up to his last breath, he cannot know what passion will attack him. So long as he breathes, therefore he must not leave his heart unguarded, but should at every moment pray to God for his help and mercy. So really passions, we don't have enough time to get into what the passions are in historic Christianity, but but really we're talking about inner experiences there. And so in the 21st century, we might look at our emotional world and emotional distress and that we're to guard our heart and to cry out to God for his mercy, his help in the context of being overwhelmed emotionally. And I think we're asking for God's compassion, God's soothing comfort, as if God has olive oil to soothe our wounds, our emotional wounds. Or another quote from the Philokalia, quote, The thief who received the kingdom of heaven, though not as the reward of virtue, is a true witness to the fact that salvation is ours through the grace and mercy of God. The author talking about the thief on the cross with Jesus. All of our holy fathers knew this and all with one accord teach that perfection in holiness can be achieved only through humility. Humility in its turn can be achieved only through faith, fear of God, gentleness, and the shedding of all possessions. To be less preoccupied with that drive system. It is by means of these that we attain perfect love, notice here, through the grace and compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory through all the ages. Amen. So as these quotes reveal, in the Christian life we need to guard the heart and cry out to God for his mercy. That is, his compassion and loving kindness which is the antidote to our suffering within the human condition. It's not as though our suffering will go away, but we can be soothed and comforted and connect to the compassion system that God has given us, 
from an outside to inside process that God first extends compassion to us and soothes and comforts us in the midst of our suffering, and then we can extend that to other people as 21st century Christ followers. In my own research, I've found that the Jesus Prayer, which we'll practice in a minute here, can be helpful in reducing unpleasant, difficult psychological experiences like stress. So I've found through psychological research that it works, that the Jesus Prayer can work as a way to pursue mental health. So to summarize here, in the secular psychology literature, I think compassion is really about being moved by suffering, responsive to suffering, and then to be compassionate towards ourselves and others. And compassion is actually an emotion regulation system, which can balance our over-reliance on the danger and drive systems and help us in our suffering. We can be intentional about cultivating compassion, which can be helpful for mental health, through meditative practices such as loving-kindness meditation and the Jesus Prayer for Christians. So for Christians, compassion is possible because God is first compassionate towards us. So it's an outside-to-inside process, and we're a dwelling place for God's compassion, which can be extended to ourselves and others especially as we notice we're experiencing self-criticism and shame and anxiety and worry. We can be compassionate toward our own fallenness, our own suffering, because God is compassionate towards us. And we worship and follow a suffering servant and great high priest who empathizes with our weaknesses and asks us to approach his throne of grace with confidence. So as we cultivate compassion as Christ followers, we're becoming more like him as we respond to a suffering world with compassion. So let's now enter into a 10-minute practice. So to begin, find a quiet place, free from distractions. Sit up straight in a supportive chair. Closing your eyes as you prepare to spend this time with Jesus. Now, when you're ready, begin to notice your breathing. Recognizing that God has given you the breath of life it goes all the way back to Genesis. There's nothing you need to do to control your breathing. Instead, God is caring for you and blessing you with an autonomic nervous system that does all of the work for you. So just spend a minute noticing your breathing going in and out of your lungs and thanking God for giving you this life and this breath, one after another.
Just notice your breathing. That God is giving you this gift in his compassion. He is giving you this breath of life. Next, begin to gently, slowly, and simply recite the words of the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Aligning them with your breath. So breathe in the first part of the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, and breathe out the second half of the prayer. Have mercy on me. Try to get into a rhythm here. Lord Jesus Christ, with the in-breath, have mercy on me with the out-breath. Lord Jesus Christ, as you breathe in, have mercy on me as you breathe out. And as you breathe in, you're filling your mind with Jesus Christ and his compassion. As you breathe out, you're letting go of everything else, self-criticism, doubt, worry, rumination, just resting in this reality that Jesus is extending his compassion to you within your inner world right here and right now. Lord Jesus Christ, breathing in, have mercy on me, breathing out. Lord Jesus Christ, breathing in, Jesus' compassion, have mercy on me, breathing out everything else. As Jesus soothes and comforts your wounds right here, right now, with his loving kindness and compassion. Lord Jesus Christ, breathing in, have mercy on me, breathing out. And as you engage in this practice, you're cultivating a deeper awareness of Jesus' loving kindness in the present moment, right here, right now. Lord Jesus Christ, breathing in, have mercy on me, breathing out. Keep 
And at a certain point, you may notice that your mind is beginning to wander towards something else. When this happens, just acknowledge your mind has drifted. Then shift towards Jesus' presence, asking him again and again for his merciful, compassionate, loving reply. Again and again, you're breathing in, Lord Jesus Christ, then breathing out, have mercy on me. Sinking deeper and deeper into an awareness of Jesus' loving presence within as you develop focused, sustained attention on your Lord and Savior right here, right now. Lord Jesus Christ, breathing in, have mercy on me, breathing out. Again and again, cultivating a, an awareness of Jesus' compassion for you right now, extended to yourself. Lord Jesus Christ, breathing in, have mercy on me, breathing out. God is filling you right now with his loving kindness, with his compassion, with his mercy. There's nothing you need to do right here, right now, other than receive it and maintain an awareness of it within. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Gently, slowly, simply, with nothing else to do. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Whenever you recognize your mind has drifted, just notice this process unfold with a calm, watchful vigilance, sinking deeper and deeper into the reality that Jesus' merciful compassion is all you need in this moment. As you connect to the compassion system that God has given you and pivot from the danger or drive system. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Saying the prayer within, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And as this practice comes to a close, thank Jesus for being with you, asking him to walk with you for the rest of the day or maintain an awareness that he already is walking with you so you can extend his compassion coming from him to yourself, then to others. Because God has loved you, has compassion for you, has mercy and loving kindness extended to you right here and right now, you can extend this compassion to yourself and others as you walk with Jesus on the roads of life. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes again and reorient yourself to your surroundings. So as this episode comes to a close, 
want to reemphasize the importance of compassion in the Christian life, in Christian mental health. Because we live in a fallen, broken world, we need to rely on our danger system, our drive system, but we often neglect the compassion system, the safeness system, the contentment system. And this is where we find rest in God. We don't have to worry about the future. We don't have to accumulate or store things up in barns. Right here and right now, we can rest in the reality that God is loving us and extending his loving kindness right here, right now to our inner world. And in turn, we can then love ourselves and others because God first loved us. So my hope is that you will continue to practice the Jesus prayer and other Christian meditative and contemplative practices to remember that God is extending his compassion to you right now. And in turn, you can extend it to yourself and others on the roads of life. Hope you'll join me next week for another episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.